0: Welcome to Econ On The Go. Now that we've talked about monopolists and profit maximization, let's shift our attention back to competitive firms and see how their profit maximization choices affect the outcomes in the market and the competitive supply curve. The first thing to understand is that for all firms, long-run costs are always lower for any given level of quantity than the costs in the short run. That's because there's more flexibility in the long run. You can adjust capital. And so if capital is less expensive than labor, you can shift out some of your labor and buy more capital in the long run, whereas in the short run, you're stuck with the amount of capital you have. There's always going to be a better way of producing in the long run than the short run. And if as a thought experiment, you've discovered some way of producing that was cheaper in the short run, well, in the long run, you can just keep doing whatever that cheaper short run process was, and therefore you wouldn't be raising your costs in the long run. So long run costs are always less than or equal to sometimes the costs in the short run to produce a certain output level. That helps us understand what that long run average cost curve is, which is the lowest possible cost to produce for any given quantity. And the point on the long run average cost curve, which is the lowest point, is a very special point. It's called the minimum efficient scale, or MES. And it's the output where the long-run average cost is the lowest level. And that's an important point to understand because it's also the lowest possible market price at which the firm can stay in business. Remember from our second cost episode, if price is greater than average cost, the firm is profitable. If price is less than average cost, the firm is negative. And so if the price is below the MES price, or the mes cost there's no quantity the firm can ever produce to become profitable and so it should exit the market one other reminder about the long-run average cost curve is that at the point to the left of the mes at quantities before the minimum efficient scale we're exhibiting economies of scale which means the average costs are decreasing as we produce more after the mes point At quantities greater than the minimum efficient scale, we're exhibiting diseconomies of scale. Our average costs are increasing as we produce more. And at the minimum efficient scale, it's neither economies of scale or diseconomies of scale. We are at the efficient point in terms of the cost to produce per unit. So now we can come back to competitive firms and think about the two decisions they have to make, which are how much to produce and whether to produce. So how much we want to produce in the market, and at that optimal level of production, is it even worth it to produce? Both of these decisions will be based on profit maximization decisions. So as an example, let's think of a sandwich shop owner. (laughs) Sandwich shops are relatively competitive markets. You have lots of sandwich shop owners. You have lots of people that buy sandwiches. You have free information. You have essentially a homogenous product you have no collusion, the sandwich shop owners aren't gathering together to fix the price of sandwiches, and there's free entry and exit. If you wanted to open up a sandwich shop, you could for most intents and purposes. It would not be that challenging to do so. And if you wanted to exit and close down your business, you could also do that. So there's free entry and exit. Now for a perfectly competitive firm like a sandwich shop, the marginal revenue for that firm is equal to the market price. The market demand for all sandwiches is still downward sloping, and it obeys the law of demand. If we want to sell more sandwiches collectively in the market, the price for sandwiches has to go down. But for any one individual sandwich shop owner, the demand curve is perfectly elastic. It's horizontal. And that's because they're price takers. The sandwich shop owner can sell as much as they want at the going price. If they raise their prices, no one will buy from them, so there's no incentive to increase their price. And if they drop their price, they're not going to sell any more sandwiches because, again, they can't satisfy the entire market. They already were selling as many sandwiches as they wanted to. And so dropping the price is just giving revenue back to customers. That doesn't really help your profits. So there's no incentive to raise price and no incentive to lower price. There is just the market price. And at that market price, they sell as much quantity as they want up to the maximum capacity. So if the competitive firm wants to sell one more unit, they don't need to drop the price, they just sell at that market price, which means selling one more sandwich, selling one more unit increases total revenue by the price of the sandwich, the price of the product or service, which means the change in total revenue as you change the amount that you are selling as you sell one more sandwich is the price in the market. If I sold 50 sandwiches at $5, I'd have $250. If I sell one more sandwich, I have $5 more that I put into my cash register, and therefore I now have $255. Unlike a monopolist, I don't have to give back revenue to my previous customers in order to incentivize one more customer to buy from me. And so my marginal revenue is just the price in the market. That means that my revenue function for the competitive firm is just a constantly increasing function at the slope of the price in the market. So if I produce one more unit of Q, the revenue goes up by P. And so the slope of the revenue function, it starts at zero and it increases at a slope of P up until my capacity limit. So now that we understand the marginal revenue for the competitive firm is the price in the market, I can now go back to my question of how much to produce. And that is determined by the same function that explains a monopolist's optimal production level, which is marginal revenue equals marginal cost. And again, that's true for every type of firm, monopolist, oligopolist, perfectly competitive firm, where marginal revenue equals marginal cost, that's where they're profit maximizing. So if they're maximizing where marginal revenue equals marginal cost, that means that as the price in the market goes up, the marginal revenue increases. And so the firm produces where the new marginal revenue hits the marginal cost curve, because again, they're optimizing where marginal revenue equals marginal cost. As the price in the market goes up again, marginal revenue increases again because the price has gone up. So now the firm produces where this new marginal revenue hits the marginal cost curve. And at any price I choose in the market, I'm going to set the marginal revenue, which is that price, equal to the marginal cost. And so what I'm tracing out is the marginal cost curve. And therefore, the marginal cost curve is the supply curve. And so back when we talked in the beginning about how the apple farmer picks the low-hanging fruit and picks the next apple, which costs more, and so to produce more apples, the cost goes up, that's why. It's because it's actually the marginal cost equal to the marginal revenue, profit maximization, which is tracing out that marginal cost curve. So a competitive firm will choose to produce where marginal revenue equals marginal cost, meaning along their supply curve, which is the marginal cost curve, at the point where the price in the market intersects that marginal cost curve. So that's how much to produce. But now let's switch and say, should the firm produce? Should the Stanwood shop owner stay in business, or should she exit? Well, should she stay in business is gonna depend on whether total profits are greater or equal to zero. Now, total profits are the total revenue minus total cost, or price times quantity minus total cost, and like we saw before, if we divide by quantity and rearrange, we get that she should stay in business if price is greater than average cost. So if the price of the product is greater than the average cost of producing the product, producing the sandwich, she should stay in business. And if it's equal to, she should also stay in business. But once it turns negative, then she should leave. Now, which are the average costs that matter? That's the important question. In the short run, it's my average variable costs, But it's also my average avoidable fixed costs. Remember, I can't change my fixed costs in the short run. But if I decide to shut down and it's a fixed cost I no longer have to pay, then it's a cost I can avoid by shutting down. And so I should question whether the price in the market covers those costs, too. So, as an example, for the sandwich shop owner, variable costs would be things like bread and meat and cheese and mustard and wrapping paper for wrapping up the sandwiches. The avoidable fixed costs would be things like the rent on the sandwich shop, if the sandwich shop owner could sublet the building or sublet the space to someone else. If she can sublet, that means that if she decides to shut down, she doesn't have to pay the rent, someone else does. But if she has to pay the rent, whether she shuts down or not, it no longer is an avoidable fixed cost. It is a fixed cost. And so she can no longer account for that in terms of whether to produce or not. So in the short run, uh, should they produce, whether to produce, is if price is greater than the average variable costs plus the average avoidable fixed costs. And in the long run, because it's a decision of whether I stay in business or not, with all of my costs can change, all of my inputs can change, it's just the sum of the average variable costs plus the average fixed costs, the avoidable and the unavoidable, now all become variable and therefore avoidable in the long run. So a sandwich shop owner may have a one-year lease, two years from now, she doesn't have to stay in business because she cannot renew the lease and therefore it's no longer a fixed cost she has to pay. Now, what this implies for the supply curve is that it's the marginal cost curve at the points where the price is greater than the average cost. So it's not the entire marginal cost curve. It's the marginal cost curve where price is greater than or equal to average cost. And remember from our rule about marginals and averages, where marginal cost is above the average, it's pulling the average up. Where marginal cost is below the average, it's pulling the average down. And so where the price is greater than average cost, it means we're at the part of the marginal cost curve that lies above the average cost curve. It's the part pulling the average back up. And that point where it starts, where the two are exactly equal, is our minimum efficient scale. So the supply curve starts at the minimum efficient scale and is the marginal cost as we increase quantity away from the minimum efficient scale. And below the minimum efficient scale, our output essentially just is the output. We just keep producing. And it's not really interesting. At prices below the minimum efficient scale, we shut down. We don't produce. But at prices at the minimum efficient scale and above, we then trace out the marginal cost curve. And that marginal cost curve is the part that is upward sloping, which is why the supply curve that we care about is the upward sloping part of the supply curve, our law of supply. So while there are parts of supply decisions where there are economies of scale and average costs are decreasing, we should just keep producing as average costs are decreasing until at least we reach the minimum efficient scale. And then we need to decide, is the price in the market justifying staying in business at the minimum efficient scale or should we shut down? And if it's worth staying in business, then we optimize and say on the increasing part of our marginal cost curve, where does that marginal cost curve intersect the price in the market? That's how many sandwiches we should produce. In the short run, firms may earn positive profits, so the price may actually be above the average cost and in particular above the average variable costs and average avoidable fixed costs. So they are making profits in the short run and may actually be making profits in the long run where the profits are greater than the average variable and average fixed costs. In total, they're making a profit. But in the long run, we believe that those profits are eventually competed away. Other firms enter the market because they like the fact that there are profits to be had, and so they try to compete too. The analogy is that if you are a sandwich shop owner, she goes to the bar on the weekend and buys drinks for everyone. And as she buys a round of drinks, one of her friends says, how did you get so much money to buy all these drinks? And she says, running my sandwich shop. And that person says, oh, I can do that too. And so they open a sandwich shop. And the next weekend, both of them come to the bar and they're buying, you know, maybe one or two drinks for some friends, but not for the entire bar. And their friends say, why aren't you buying as many drinks? And the owners say, well, because we made some profits, but not a lot. So we can't afford to buy drinks for everyone. And one of their friends said, well, they're still making profits. So I'll open a sandwich shop. And this keeps happening until they have no profits in which to buy extra drinks. And if too many of the friends enter at once so that they're all losing money, the next weekend they get together at the bar and they all commiserate over their drinks saying, I can't believe that we're all losing money. And one of them decides to exit. So firms will enter or exit. As they're profitable, there will be more entry. As they're unprofitable, firms will exit. As firms enter and exit, what that does to our supply and demand curves for the market as a whole is it shifts the supply curve right if firms enter or left if firms leave the market. As the supply curve increases because firms enter the market, that means we start moving down the demand curve and the price goes down. And as the price goes down, it starts approaching the price at the minimum efficient scale. And so our profits start decreasing. And again, the optimal point at which firms stop entering or exiting is where the supply curve and the demand curve intersect at a price, which is the price that corresponds to the minimum efficient scale on the average cost curve. So firms will keep entering, more sandwich shop owners will keep entering until the profits are zero. And at that point, no one else enters. Now, again, that seems odd to a lot of people. How can profits be zero? We know firms are making profits. But we're counting economic profits, which include things like opportunity costs. When you include opportunity costs, then that means that the economic profits can be zero, but the accounting profits are positive. You still have enough money to pay for the house and for food and to send your kids to school, but when you subtract the opportunity costs, that profit measure now becomes zero. So the competitive supply curve is the marginal cost curve. It's the marginal cost curve above the minimum efficient scale of the average cost curve. And it shows the choices for the competitive firm of how much to produce, where the price equals that marginal cost. And if the price is below the minimum efficient scale, below the MES, then the firm decides it's not worth it. They're going to be losing money, and so they exit the market. That's how we think of competitive firms and the competitive equilibrium and competitive supply curve. Now that we've looked at the competitive supply and the competitive firms, we're going to start shifting back to looking at firms when they have market power. So next time we're going to talk about these pricing decisions, not when firms are price takers, but when firms have some ability to set the price in the market and what that applies for what kind of strategies they should choose.